You're listening to an Influicity podcast. You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. You're listening to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. Every week I'm speaking to a notable guest in the world of business. If there is one guest that is the definition of Canadian success, it's Jim Pattison of the Jim Pattison Group. Jim is an investor, the fifth richest Canadian, and philanthropist and overall business guru. His company is part of multiple different ventures, businesses that range from Ripley's Entertainment, the Guinness World Records, one of my favorite, 43 radio stations, and three television stations, multiple food and grocery chains, multiple car dealerships, and that's only to name a few. I'm extremely pleased to announce Jim to the podcast today. You've built one of the largest car dealerships uh, groups in Canada. So what was your strategy for growing so aggressively um, the business and so fast? Well, I don't play golf, <laughs> so I got lots of time in my hands and business was doing fine. And so uh, I like business, so I reinvested it and uh, made every mistake there is as time went by. Uh, and. Uh, but managed to survive. And we got, first thing I did from the car business is move to the leasing company. And of course, I was a big advertiser. Our business grew in the car business. And so uh, I was doing a lot of advertising on radio and television. So then a radio station possibility came up. So I got into radio. And today, we have 47 radio stations in Western Canada, but it all came from the one radio station I got uh, when once I got started and we generated positive cash. And, uh, and the, the first thing I went into business after getting into the car business was going to the car leasing business. And then I went into the car leasing and trucking leasing business. And then went into radio. And then from then, we got into other business. Now, to get into the leasing business, that was quite a step, I imagine, back then, because, you know, not everybody was thinking about being vertically integrated or that connected um, to your core business. So why did you think that the leasing business would um, help your growth? Well, because I'd worked for a General Motors dealer in Vancouver for 10 years, and I was very much involved in the growth of their leasing company, when I was the general manager of their company, uh, I was uh, we the company we started a leasing company, which turned out to be very successful. And so I knew something about the leasing business, and and of course I knew something about the retail car business. But most mostly, I knew a lot about used cars because. I was at a I got in the used car business by washing used cars, and then the manager gave me a job selling used cars after I had learned to wash the used cars. <laughs> so, so then eventually we got into the. I got a job uh, working for a General Motors dealer, and I worked for them for ten years. What did you enjoy? Um, did you enjoy sales? Is that what really got you started? Um, where's your pa where was your passion or was that where marketing or communications? Was that your education? I liked cars. My dad 
had been involved in cars back in Saskatchewan. And the Great Depression came and he came out here and got a job managing a used car lot. So I was interested in cars. And, uh, and so I, it was, it wasn't going to work for me going to work on a used car lot. That makes sense. Your passion was with cars. And so, um, do you find that you still have that passion for cars or has it kind of expanded over the years have gone? Well, no, we got, obviously, uh, we still have a very keen interest in cars and used cars. Uh, but then as we got into other things, starting with radio, uh, we got into the car leasing business. And then from car leasing, we got into radio. And then from radio, we got into other businesses. Well, we all see, you know, the outdoor advertising and the grocery stores and a lot of other businesses. So why did you decide to diversify in all those other industries? Because that's a good question. I went to General Motors and said, I'd like to get another franchise and grow the business because I'm making money and I'd like to put it to work with a second franchise. And they said, sorry, we only allow one dealer to have one franchise. I'm not very good at uh, taking holidays. And so (laughs) I wasn't allowed to get a second dealership with General Motors. So I started to grow in other things including billboards, outdoor advertising, and electrical uh, uh, electrical uh, signage. And then we got into groceries and uh, other businesses as time went by. Have you always had the philosophy, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bold decision to put your name on um, the dealership, the billboards, the Jim Pattison group and put your name up front. And so do you think that has motivated you a lot in the growth or kept you accountable? Because, you know, in our business, we decided not to put our name early on. And then we discovered about five years ago that maybe it's about time we put the Minhas name on it. So what made you put your name on the first dealership and then after all of the other businesses? Well, I didn't want to. The company I got into was called Marshall Pontiac. And I didn't, it, it had a good reputation. Small company, but uh, it was an honest, honest manager. And I wanted to keep the name. And General Motors wouldn't let me. They wouldn't give me the franchise unless I changed the name. And uh, they recommended I change it to my own name. And I did what General Motors asked me to do because I wanted the franchise. I would never use the name. Nobody ever heard of Jim Patterson. That was the part of the condition that I got the franchise, that General Motors insisted I use my name. And of course, they I didn't want to spend the money on changing the sign. The sign of the company was called Marshall Pontiac, and I just wanted to keep the name, and I didn't want to spend the money. But General Motors insisted, and that's how we got started. I didn't name the company General Motors. So they they made that decision for you, and I guess all these years later, we should thank them, because now we all know who Jim Pattison is. Well, just the bank. So what's your thought process when you enter a new area of business versus, um, you know, investing in an existing category? For example, like you had, tw- if you, you had 25 car dealerships. And so why not add a few more rather than getting into all of those um, other businesses and industries that essentially you maybe have to learn and assemble a new team for? 
Well, the reason is new car dealerships don't come up that often. And uh, so over over years, it's uh, I've been in business now 50 years, and we have, I think, 26 or something, 27 car dealerships. And But you can't go out and advertise and get them. I mean, you have to wait till the dealer decides that he doesn't want to have it anymore. And usually a lot of car dealers, they turn it over to their family if they have a son. And so it, and a lot of, they follow the family, particularly if they have boys who have are interested in cars, and most are. And so you have to wait till that cycle is over before a dealership comes available. So do you, are you comfortable with going into new industries and businesses? Um, is it something that, you know, you enjoy the challenge of, or do you just see it as an opportunity? No, as it came along, as the opportunity presented itself, it came. Uh, I got into the grocery business uh, because I got a phone call one day from a fellow that said, I didn't ever heard of him. He says, Jimmy, you should go on the grocery business and there's a company you should look at called Overweighting. And uh, so I did look into it. And uh, it had 2% market share. And I could afford to buy these uh, little grocery stores. And so I took General Motors didn't have any more dealerships for me. And so I got into groceries. That's quite the leap of faith, though, to go from selling cars to selling groceries. And I know Overweighting. My grandparents live still in Duncan, BC. And I remember going as a little kid to Overweighting because it was the only grocery store on the island in their little, little town. And the, they, they only had a few grocery stores, and they were all very small. Right. And the one was in Campbell River. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I bought it, and uh, then they had another, the closest one on the mainland was. They had one at Williams Lake, but they were very small, 3,000 square foot stores, and uh, nobody wanted them, uh, basically. So I took them, and today uh, they've done very well. They definitely have, but quite that's quite the risk. So do you consider yourself a risk taker? Yes. And, and are you comfortable with risk? Does it keep you up at night? No. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> certainly keep me up at night, but my whole life, that's all I've done is risk. Okay. So you've gotten comfortable with risk over the, over the last 50 years. I have, I'm definitely, we've taken a lot of risk and uh, a good number have not worked out. The question is, can I afford the risk? And and it's not only, I guess, financially, with, there's a lot of other uh, things you have to consider when, you know, taking on risk, sacrifice, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot involved, not just dollars and cents. No, but can, for example, when we buy billboards, we can use billboards advertising our car dealerships, we can advertise our radio stations, we can advertise our grocery stores. So one can help the other in some cases. And so you taught, you touched on a lot of the uh, businesses were not successful. So I'm curious as to what were some of those businesses that didn't pan out and that we don't know that are part of the Jim Pattison group today? I got to think about that. I sold businesses that I thought had better owners than we had, but to actually liquidate a company uh, 
and I have, I just can't think of one at the minute. Right. Well, that's important too, to understand that you might not be the right entrepreneur or the right owner for a business. There might be somebody else who has a, you know, a different or a better skill set. Um, that's really, that that's really being self-aware as an organization to know what you're good at, right? Yes. I think that, that I understood retail and I think I understood advertising. <clears throat> now, what I didn't understand was manufacturing. And when we went into that business, when I bought, got into the manufacturing business, it was a result of manufacturing signs that we leased. We manufactured them and leased them. Okay. And, and we still have that business today. And that was the first business I actually went into outside of the car business was go into radio and then to electrical signs, manufacturing, but it was the signage that we could use that we were manufacturing that I understood the advertising value of. So many of your businesses are in what people would call maybe traditional verticals, you know, cars, food, retail, etc. Have you ever thought about going into as things in the last, you know, decade, decade and a half have gotten, you know, quite popular and, and successful for some software, communications, technology, um, some of those non-traditional industries? No, I have gone into the whole when the first technology started to come out. Uh, I got into that and lost my shirt right off the bat quickly and decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. But that was because of when everybody was making stuff up in their backyard or their back or at home, young people, and I backed some couple of young people that were uh, coming up with new ideas on technology and uh, wrote it off and decided I wasn't going to do that because I really didn't understand it. Okay. Hey, you live and you learn sometimes. So you seem to be still very involved in your companies 50 years later. So what would you describe your leadership style as? Uh, let me back up. The most important thing is people. And when you give people responsibility, the key is giving it to the right people that can take the responsibility, are 100% honest, and usually are people sensitive and are workers. Do you have, how many employees do you have? We had, at the end of last year, we had 48,000. That's a lot. Um, and so I, I totally agree with you that, you know, it, it, it's people first. Um, but how do you manage such a large, diverse group, not only of individuals, um, but in different geographic regions? We do, we do it back as I just was explaining. It's all the quality of the people that know the business. Are you guys a very top-down industry um, as far as your um, leadership style goes or your structures? No, we, we give our people lots of autonomy. Great. And is that something that you've discovered over the years that you built into? No, or is that's that when, I, when I, I worked for other people and I decided that when they gave me responsibility, I took ownership of it. And uh, it worked. I did, a, I did a good job with my bosses, and that's why I got the opportunity eventually to go into a business for myself is because General Motors uh, got to know 
me as an employee of a successful General Motors dealership in Vancouver. And they came one day and said, we have an opportunity for you. I learned everything I learned is by doing it myself as far as management. That can be a little nerve wracking, though, giving away control early on to, to others, especially when you're a private company. Sure. Well, what is private company is a lot better than a public company because it's all your money. That's very true. I, I, I subscribe to that thought because we're a private company, too. So on that, have you ever thought in the last five decades of going public? Well, oh, yeah, we're involved in public companies. We, we have uh, right currently right now we're involved in 51 percent of a public company. We have another one. We're 40 percent of public company. Uh, that Oh, yeah, we've been in, in and out of public companies. Right. But how about yourself? How about the Jim Pattison Group? Have you thought of putting it on the market in, in the public sphere? Oh, we've been, yeah, we've been, we've been public. Not, not Our car dealerships have never had been. But I took our leasing company, took it public, the leasing company. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, I decided a few years later, I, I took it private. Oh, okay. And and did you enjoy the experience of being public or no? I did not enjoy the experience of being public. So I took it private. I think that's interesting that you've tried a lot of things and then, um, you know, discovered what worked. I've tried a lot of things and failed at a lot of things. Right. And I think that that's how you discover what works for you, right? And, and what you're comfortable with and, 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 you know, cause it's easy to look at other people's journeys and as successes and say, Oh, I can do that too. But it's not as easy as it looks sometimes. Obviously in your case too. It's certainly, I learned quickly what not to do. <laughs> Have you in your career, especially when you're starting out, did you borrow a lot of, of money or did you have outside investors or how did you, you know, grow um, not only so quickly, but also how did you fund all of these businesses? Uh, we hear about them. Uh, we have uh, brokers uh, come to us from time to time. We have, it depends on the size of the company. Uh, we have people that we buy companies, smaller companies that know about us and come to us to see if we're interested. And we're looking, we have uh, uh, here in our company, we have two people looking for opportunities all the time. And, and if you were starting again, would you go back and do it the same way that you did or um, a lot of the startups companies that you started with seed money? Would you maybe get a little more creative? Would you take angel investment? Because um, a lot of people in, in this day and age are wondering how do they fund their business, right? And how do you do it without the traditional way of going to the bank? Um, and because not everybody can these days. Well, first of all, I, the first thing was go to the bank. Uh, it wasn't the last thing. It was the first thing. Would the bank be interested in supporting? Because uh, I didn't have any money. And so uh, everything that our company has today has been built on borrowed money. We've never had equity. We've always had to go. As we got bigger, we could only get bigger to the degree of the size of the equity. When I started the business, 
and board $40,000. The only equity I had was $7,000 equity in my home. And the banks uh, told me they would loan me $40,000. But one condition was that I would have to sell my house and pay it down by $7,000. And then they wanted my wife's guarantee. And I, and that's how we got started. It's always been based on what our ability to pay the loans back. Um, so Jim, when you look back on your life as an entrepreneur, are there, um, you know, a few defining moments that helped you launch your business um, to the next level or the moments that you thought that, okay, I've made it? Or was it a gradual climb? Well, I've never considered I've made it. My number one job is always making sure that our relationship with our lenders, because we're not in the business of printing money or anything like that. We haven't got into that. But I can tell you right now that that it's been the importance of the banks that have given me the opportunities because any time that we do anything, it's, it's usually because we, we borrow money from the banks who have approved of the opportunities that we have gone into. And so do you, do you think of any moments that you um, really knew or were like propellers to the next level of all of your businesses? Our opportunities have come from people that just say, Jimmy, you should look at this, to getting people that call here sometimes and just say, you know, here's a company you should look at. Uh, we have stockbrokers that have come to us. And today we have two people full-time just looking for opportunities. So would you call your success a gradual success? You know, because a lot of people, you know, would look at you and say, wow, an overnight success. But do you feel that it was that way? It's not overnight. Uh, we've been in business now for, you know, 69, 659 years, I think we've been in business. You've definitely had a lot of successes over the last, um, you know, 59 years. But I've also had lots of failures. You don't hear about that. Very important. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, and so what do you think that you're really good at? I don't think I'm really good at much. Uh, really, uh, the only thing I've been always 100% honest. What do you think your special talent is? Are you really good with numbers? Are you a really good salesperson? Are you a good communicator? No, I, I, I was when I was when I was selling cars. I was a good salesman. My dad was a good salesman. He came from Saskatchewan, and he was a good salesman. My dad would go take me. He worked on a used car lot as a used car salesman in Vancouver when he first came here, and he would take me down, and I'd sit and on Saturdays at the used car lot with my dad and just watch him and uh, and just be quiet. And he would then take me home a Saturday after work and I would go the next Saturday and sit in the car uh, watching my dad and, and uh, just hanging around used car lots. And so how have the last, you know, seven months been, um, not only for you, but for your companies? Well, we've had uh, companies that have, are shut right down and still are. And we have businesses coming that we still haven't opened up is the Great Wolf Lodge in Niagara Falls. 
Um, so if you could go back um, and give yourself some advice, uh, the younger Jimmy, what would you say to him? I would say, no matter what, be honest. And secondly is, I don't think there's any shortcut for hard work if you really want to succeed. The people that I know that have been very successful have all been hard work. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And so when you're investing in other individuals, entrepreneurs, companies, what do you look for, Jim? Well, we're looking right now, number one, is is it environmentally friendly? The environment has got to be our number one issue out there today in this world. And we're in businesses that have not been environmentally friendly. And we've got to work our way out of that and have the business. We have factories and employees and families been with us for many, many years. But we've got to take those businesses and transition them into something that is more friendly to the environment. And we're doing that. But it can't be done overnight. But it's important that we all focus on the environment. Good point. I agree with you. Um, we want this world to be around for much longer, not only for our kids and grandkids, but many, many others um, in, in our in, in our legacies. Well, well, just just stop and think about the forest fires in California, the forest fires in British Columbia, and uh, and this is all. We've never had these kinds of fires before, and these are game changers for a lot of things and a lot of people. Agreed. Agreed. So since you've been home more, you mentioned, have you discovered anything new that you've had time to that you're that you're good at or that you're not good at or that you're enjoying? Well, I like I'm still going to work every day. And uh, I go to I go on Sundays. I was go to church on Sunday. But now I watch church on the TV on Sundays. But uh, I try to go into the office every day. Thanks for coming by, Jim. Take care. But thank you for the opportunity. It was nice to talk to you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast. Each week, I'll be talking with some of the best leaders in the business. So together we can share their journey and stories and gain more insight on how we can do better in our own experiences. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Manjeet Manhas podcast.